4, 3, you have discovered the 542 and the Blue Podcast. Discussions of law enforcement history, issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains. Hosted by retired police detective sergeant, author and researcher, Scott Lunsford. Today's podcast starts with the ballad of Ellen Smith. Also called Poor Ellen Smith. Performed by Alan Lomax. Southern Journey Ballads. Songs from the Southern Mountains Volume 2. Today Shade of Blue, talks about the death of Ellen Smith and the trial of her lover. Accused of shooting the unfortunate 17-year-old girl through the heart. This is your podcast producer, Victoria. 2. 1. Scott. Come on, you can people, my story to I stayed off twelve months and I prayed all the time that the man might be found that committed the crime. They got their Winchesters and hunted me down while I was away in a little mountain town. I come back this winter, my trial to stand. To live or to die as the law may command It was poor Ellen Smith and how she was found With a ball through her heart lying cold on the ground It's true I'm in jail, I'm a prisoner now But God is here with me and knows everything It was poor Ellen Smith and how she was found With a ball through her heart lying cold on the ground Thank you once again, Victoria. Welcome back to 542 in the Blue. Our shade of blue for today, as Victoria said, deals with poor Ellen Smith. You heard the ballad, and now I'm going to tell you the story. The morning of July 21st, 1892, the body of Ellen Smith was found behind the Zazendorf Hotel in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. She had been shot through the heart. The story, the story of Ellen Smith's murder is a classic tale of seduction and betrayal. A beautiful but innocent young woman strays from the path of righteousness for a faithless lover who soon becomes her killer. It is the stuff of many Victorian cautionary literary stories and tales. Not to mention... A lot, quite a few mountain murder ballads. 
Now, the actual facts of Ellen Smith's murder investigation in the court case that actually occurred are kind of sparse. Much of what we know about the story of Ellen Smith is based on supposition and contradictory accounts, stories, and secondhand information. Now, as theorized, Ellen Smith was possibly born in Yadkin County, North Carolina in 1874. The 1880 census for Yadkin County lists an Ellen Smith, age 6, Maluto. She was probably very dark-skinned, and that was a catch-all phrase or a catch-all category in the 1880 censuses. She could have been part American Indian or a triracial Melungeon. She is sometimes portrayed as a very beautiful young lady. An acquaintance described her in some writings as, quote, not bad looking with a rather bold countenance, a rather sharp nose. Her short hair tended to curl, and she had blue eyes and straight white teeth. Ellen was supposed to be about 17 years old and probably working at the newly opened uh, luxurious Zazendorf Hotel in the west end of Winston-Salem. Now that is where she met Mr. Peter DeGraff. DeGraff was in his early 20s, probably also working at the hotel in some capacity, and by most accounts he lived the 1880s playboy lifestyle. Reckless, and more than likely quite stupid. He was said at an early age to have started drinking and carrying a pistol. DeGraff had lots of contact with law enforcement as he was growing up. He was once arrested in jail for carrying a pistol, but managed to escape and hide out in Virginia for some time. He is described in the newspaper articles of the day as a ladies' man who had seduced and ruined or gotten into trouble many young women. Now, his relationship with Ellen Smith followed much of the same course. Ellen was pregnant in July of 1892, and she may have already borne DeGraff's child that died in infancy. We're not really sure about that, and I couldn't find anything in the records or birth records showing Ellen Smith giving birth officially to a child. It is unclear exactly what prompted the murder of Ellen Smith. Ellen may have been wanting to get married, and Peter didn't want to, or he may have been jealous over her relationship with another man. One news article stated that Ellen had sent DeGraff a note saying she did not want to see him anymore. In either case, DeGraff sent her a note asking her to meet him in the woods behind the hotel. A note from him was found in the body, but the content of the note was not recorded or put into evidence for the trial. Now, Ellen was murdered on the afternoon of July 20th, 1892, by a single gunshot through the heart. According to the coroner's report, there were powder burns on her and her dress, indicating that she was shot with a pistol at very close range. The body was found in the woods behind the hotel the next morning, after an unknown person notified several people where to look. It is speculated that this man was Peter DeGraff, who wanted Ellen's body found. Now, it was common knowledge that Peter was Ellen's lover, 
Right after the body was discovered, Peter disappeared. He was the prime suspect, and a warrant was issued for his arrest. But beyond issuing a warrant, very little was done to apprehend DeGraff. The sheriff of Forsyth County at the time was sharply criticized for his inaction and was accused of cowardice. The newspapers speculated that DeGraff had not been arrested because he had more knowledge of, quote, extraordinary settlement of other cases than the sheriff would like to have divulged. And, as well, why persons charged with murder are thus permitted to strut about the county in broad daylight while our officers timidly keep out of their way. Direct quotes from the two of the newspapers of the day. Now, the death of the poor girl became ammunition for political grievances and blatantly used in the next election, not only for sheriff, but all candidates running statewide on the sheriff's party platform. It was consistently reported that DeGraff showed up in town many times and taunted the sheriff to come and get him. Which, if you think about it, is kind of odd, as the same papers also pointed out that the sheriff was helping to hide DeGraff. Why would you taunt someone who was helping keeping your rear end out of jail? I don't know. I don't think the writers thought that through fully. But no arrest was made until Forsyth County elected a new sheriff. Ellen Smith's murder being the sway point in that election. On June 23, 1893, the new sheriff, Sheriff MacArthur, received word that DeGraff had been seen getting off of a train. He sent officers to DeGraff's parents' house and other places he was known to frequent, but apparently DeGraff's destination was the woods behind the hotel, the scene of the crime, so to speak. Witnesses reported to the sheriff they saw him there and heard him cry out, quote, once more, Ellen, if you are in heaven, arise. If in hell, stay there. Unquote. Pretty weird, right? It may have a specific meaning and did have a specific meaning in the 1880s or just a newspaper attempt to increase circulation. I'm not exactly sure. Media writers were known to embellish slightly. Very similar to today's writers, I would imagine. Later that evening, he was found hiding under a feather mattress in a house near a tavern where he had once worked. Now, the trial was held August 11, 1893. DeGraff had been charged with murder in the first degree, and he pled not guilty. He claimed he did not murder Ellen Smith, but when he took the stand, DeGraff said he returned to the scene of the crime because he had been told an old saying that if a person who committed a murder returned to the scene and spoke the right words, the victim would appear exactly what he had been seen doing the day of his arrest, according to the papers. The one statement probably that sealed DeGraff's fate. The trial lasted three days, and the jury deliberated for 12 hours before returning a verdict of guilty of first-degree murder. The case was appealed on several technicalities, but the verdict was upheld. DeGraff's attorneys petitioned then-governor Julian S. Carr for a stay of execution, but the governor declined that as well. DeGraff was sentenced to hang. On February 8, 1894, six months after the actual 
homicide, people came from all over North Carolina and South Carolina to see Peter DeGraff being hung. Several newspapers put the estimated crowd numbers at close to 6,000. As with most hangings with large collections of witnesses, it gave the scene a very carnival-like atmosphere. DeGraff was pressured to confess, but as he climbed the steps to the scaffold, he maintained his innocence. The party mood continued as a noose was placed around DeGraff's neck, but many in the crowd joined in as the condemned man sang the hymn, I am a soldier of the cross. Then the crowd hushed when DeGraff indicated that he wished to make a statement after all. I killed Ellen Smith. The only words she said after I shot her were, Lord, have mercy on me. Peter said he loved Ellen Smith and had intended to marry her. Yeah, like that was going to happen. DeGraff gave no reason for the murder except that he was drunk at the time. With a Bible in his hand, DeGraff spoke his last words to the crowd. I stand here today to receive my just reward. I again say to the people here, beware of bad women and whiskey. Don't put your hands on cards, bad women and dice. Hear my dying words. Which, when you think about it even today, is probably good advice. Peter DeGraff handed his Bible to his brother Lee, and the hood was pulled over his face. Watching his pocket watch for the proper moment, the sheriff gave the signal. The trap opened, and Peter DeGraff swung lifelessly before the crowd. It was the last public hanging in Forsyth County, North Carolina. DeGraff was buried in the county's potter's field in an unmarked grave. Peter's Bible was given to Lee DeGraff, his brother, who was a tombstone carver. The Bible still exists today in the hands of Lee's granddaughter. It had the inscribed handwritten name of Peter DeGraff on the inside cover, and that still can be seen today. The back flap bears that signature and the date 1893, the year he was imprisoned and convicted. Also appearing are the handwritten words. This is for God that saved my soul. The ballad Poor Alan Smith, the version you heard at the start of this shade of blue, appeared soon after the execution. It tells a story from the point of view of the condemned man, and it was allegedly written by DeGraff himself, and this is highly doubtful. The same claim was made for the ballads of Frankie Silver and Tom Dula. It has also been claimed that the ballad, which professes the condemned man's innocence, was so inflammatory at the time that it was outlawed for a time over the fear that it would incite violence. This also being highly unlikely. You tell someone they can't do something, the more they want to do it, and the more they probably will do it. Now, a quick thank you to the ladies who helped put this podcast together. Producer Victoria and our engineer Alice. For more information on future podcasts, and when they will be released, as well as a list of previous Shades of Blue, go to my website, scottlunsfordauthor.com. Copies of my books also can be found there, 
as well as on Amazon.com. And I want to thank you for listening. And as always, be safe and be secure. All right, Alice, the mic is back to you. Five, four, three, two, one. You have been listening to the 542 in the Blue podcast. Discussions of law enforcement history, issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains. Hosted by writer and researcher Scott Lunsford. For more information on this podcast, go to scottlunsfordauthor.com. There you will find a link to more podcasts and information on Scott's books and how to order them. Scott can also be reached through the message portal on the contact page. This is Alice your podcast engineer. 2. 1. End. Background theme Mystery Sex by Kevin McLeod, used with permission and licensed by Creative Commons at Computech. Until next time. Thank you.